0: And welcome to Ending Physician Overwhelm. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Mello. I'm a family and obesity medicine physician, as well as a certified life coach for physicians. In this podcast, we talk about how the learned habits of people-pleasing, perfectionism, and a lack of boundaries show up in our lives, and how they contribute to burnout, exhaustion, and overwhelm. The healthcare system is broken, my friends, but let's not wait for it to be fixed in order to feel better. Okay.
1: Well, hello there healthcare humans. Thanks for coming back for another episode, a very special episode of The Other Human in the Room because it's also a special episode of Ending Phys- Physician Overwhelm. Ending Physician Overwhelm, which like those things are related totally. <laughs> so, we thought we'd introduce ourselves as two physician coaches who have podcasts and then kind of just have a conversation.
0: So, um Megan, do you want to go first? Sure. So I'm Dr. Megan Mello. I'm uh, board certified in family and obesity medicine, and I practice in Seattle, Washington. And I'm also a certified uh, life coach through the Life Coach School, and I coach physicians primarily on issues around burnout, people pleasing, perfectionism, uh, you know, boundary issues, all of those things that I really think are sort of habits that get wound up into us and cause a lot of problems for us. Um, I also am a certified Daring Way facilitator. And so I lead people through the work of Renee Brown, which has been just very impactful for me, uh, really sort of getting into vulnerability and shame and shame resilience and, you know, some of those some of those fun issues. And uh, in my personal life, I live in Seattle, Washington, with my husband and my two sons. And let's hear about you.
1: Yes. Hi, I'm. Dr. Joan Chan. I um, also practice family medicine up in Guelph, Ontario, Canada. Um, and I am also, I call myself a restorative medical educator and coach. I, because I really like both the education piece and like teaching as well as the coaching. And probably the best coaching is teaching and the best teaching is coaching. So it's a bit of like a combo. <laughs> um, and the thing I say is that I help humans in healthcare to try and make their experience of healthcare feel more human. Cause the thing that I have learned the most from this world of coaching, also certified at life coach school and, and also done some other certifications and really the process of like coming home to yourself as a human being and in the process, recognizing how dehumanized we have been Mm
0: -hmm.
1: like, maybe just like in the world, Mm Socialized female, certainly like a couple of identities dehumanizing and, and, but certainly in medical training, that being a, a real time of, of just needing to set aside all your bodily and emotional and spiritual human needs. And that then the medical culture continues on to reinforce that, to sort of put yourself last, pretend you don't have a human body, pretend you don't have an emotional well yourself, you know? And so, um, that's why I like calling it restorative education and coaching. Cause I think something yeah. was really lost and that's something that, um, I have found personally, like in my own life, that coaching and learning from teachers like Brene Brown. So I love you're certified through her, like folks like that, who are interested in being like, can we all just name that? Can we just, I don't Yeah. like it's to not supposed to be this hard. Yeah. Can we just get back <laughs> to being human? Like I think this shouldn't be this hard,
0: you know? Yeah, I love that. And it's funny, the restorative uh, part, yeah, because I often talk with people about like, we need to unlearn what we learned, right? Because what we learned got us here, right? It got us to be physicians. It got us into medical school. It got us all these things, right? It had its purpose. And now it's too much, right? It is dehumanizing. It has taken us away from being connected to our body and who the heck are we anymore? Right. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, I wonder like, um, for you how that experience has been, especially like when did you start noticing like God, whether you you reframed it as like I'm being dehumanized, but like,
0: yeah,
1: how's it been being a
0: human in healthcare these past few years, you know, and what brought you to the coaching world? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been an off and on struggle for me, uh, really, since pretty early in my attending career, you know, I felt, you know, during residency, it's like, yeah, just bring it on. I'll just pile as much stuff as I can on here, right. And um, got out into the quote, unquote, real world as an attending, and was just like, oh, my gosh, there's just too much stuff. There's too much pressure. There's too much too much work all the time. Um, And I didn't really know how to cope with it. And so, you know, some up and down experiences with burnout, quite frankly, and, you know, had a couple of kids, you know, early on, I started teaching in a residency program. And I was doing sort of literature searches on physician well being and physician resilience and wellness and, you know, trying to really figure out like, how can I make this better? Because this feels really hard. And kind of all the, all the people I turned to who frankly were mostly men, um, you know, were kind of like, I don't know, this is just, this is just kind of how it was. Um, and a lot of the women that I saw were really burned out, really struggling, um, but wouldn't always talk about really any of it. Um, and you know, you get to start thinking like, am I broken? Is there something wrong with me that I don't like this, that I don't think it's okay, um but each time i'd kind of crank myself up harder and be like you just need to work harder you just need to just you know forget those human parts even more <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> if that's possible right <laughs> um you know and sort of again sort of went through periods of this and um in starting about 2019 like really started to be so crispy that my attitude was starting to be a problem and i was starting to get called out on it like great patient interactions, but, um, I had nothing left in the tank for staff that I worked with. Um, you know, I was really upset and cranky at meetings and complaining a lot, you know, and unfortunately the response to that was just to sort of be in trouble, right. Mm -hmm. To be sort of labeled a difficult person. Mm -hmm. Um, at one point in 2020, uh, good, I don't know, five or six months into the pandemic. Yeah. I got sat down with HR uh and they they were like, you really need to fix your attitude problem. And and they should they, you know, put a pretty picture on literally said, put a pretty picture on your desk. Which oh, I didn't did actually have a that? desk anymore. Oh, no. Um, because of COVID. Like I didn't actually have like you know, I was just like, Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um and like that same week, I I happened to have a medical appointment, you know, for my human body. And, uh, with somebody I didn't know when it was a vascular surgeon, varicose veins. And, um, just like she found out as a doctor and she's like, how are you? And I just burst into tears. Mm-hmm. I just lost it. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and my coping was to ultimately like secretly get board certified in obesity medicine. I didn't tell anybody what I was doing is like this will be my out I have to have a thing to do to leave and I got my board certification I put in my notice and I just was like you know what I can't move on to anything else feeling this way Mm. and I happened to stumble across a physician coach who was doing like a webinar and I went and um, somebody else who's life coach school trained like we are. And the thought model that she presented just made so much sense. It was like light bulbs went on. I was just like, Oh, that's that stuff that people have never said out loud to me before that my thoughts create my feelings, my feelings drive my actions. That's why everything is so hard. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, joined her program, ended up becoming a coach. And, you know, so it's, it's been sort of a process through that. I eventually, I did leave that job, but I eventually returned to medicine and really have come to it from such a different place. yeah. And it's made such a huge difference for me. Mm, I love that. Tell me your story. Um, because I always start my guest interviews, you know, really kind of hearing about you know, how did you get here to this place where you're a practicing physician and you're a coach? What was your experience like? Yeah. And I think I
1: love the name of your podcast that it's just names that overwhelm. Cause I just think for me, if I look back, like I, I think I, I almost wouldn't have called it burnout though. It also kind of was, but it was more overwhelm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, since the beginning, since even medical training, and but certainly coming out into practice, I remember posting, I think it was within my first year of like having my own practice. Like mm-hmm. I, I do outpatient family medicine and I posted on some like Facebook grouping, like, um, does anyone have like resources or would be interested in like a support group? Cause this like seems impossibly hard. And no one's talking how are we about supposed it. to do this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so pretty early on, like a couple other people were like, yes. And so we like formed a little support group and that, that was so fabulous just for that peer connection and, mm-hmm. and, and really useful. And, you know, the demands of a growing practice plus then adding in, yeah, I have two boys as well, five and three. Mm-hmm. So like going through that. And then for me, like, I think a lot of people in the world and especially like physicians and other clinicians, like the pandemic, I was halfway through my second pregnancy, March, 2020, mm. and, um, talk about overwhelm, you know, right. and plus like, hormones. plus hormones, plus like <laughs> just, and it was kind uh, of interesting. So like fear. that first year was like, it almost was like galvanizing in a way where it was like, I, I was like, I had a singular focus, which was like try and prevent COVID from entering my house, and like hyper focus on the pandemic. So that first year felt super intense, but like pure survival mode, and Mm -hmm. in some ways slightly empowering. Set some boundaries with family that I hadn't before. Mm -hmm. So like there were some gifts in there, but then especially like returning to family medicine in like January twenty twenty one, and the coping mechanism I had, because it was like, the world is burning, everything's helpless, we're in our like 50 billionth lockdown already, the vaccines just come out.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, I'm trying to like outrun my feelings. So obviously, I'm going to become the MD lead of our local vaccine clinic. And as well as I I had already joined during my mat leave, I was like in Zoom meetings, breastfeeding from home, because you couldn't go anywhere, or like our local anti-oppression advisory team, because, you know, Systemic racism was finally being talked about, which is good. But like so many committees, plus clinical work, plus a six-month-old and a three-year-old. Um, and obviously that wasn't sustainable. (laughs) I rode that wave for a while, but there was a moment, it was like in the middle of that summer, and things had taken a bit of a turn. You know, I part of it was so hard, was like one of the kind of my things I was focusing on was like. I can't get my babies vaccinated, but I can vaccinate everyone around me. That was kind of like my, Mm. one of the things I was like super focused on. And that summer, I don't know if it it depends what job you were having that time, but Mm. where we were, the only people who hadn't yet gotten vaccinated were people who really weren't going to. And it was leading to a lot of tough conversations and a lot of socialized, internalized guilt and shame mm-hmm. that apparently it was my job to push these people across the finish line right. when that really wasn't even a, an alignment of my values. Cause I am, I've always been like, you're in charge of your life and you're an adult hard. you yes. get to decide here's the information, here's the information. And yet yeah. I felt like there's, you know, it's like, here's how to convince them. And, 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 and just noticing my rising resentment. And, and yeah. some of it was like, honestly, like some of what people said was, just like pretty harsh, to yeah, and it was, you know, I understand it was from the stories they needed to tell themselves, and it's all, but like at the moment, like just getting kind of the waves of that and and starting to feel for the first time pretty like angry at some of my patients and and just resentful, like there was a moment when someone came in and they're like, oh, by the way, you know, at the end of our twenty minute appointment, that was supposed to be ten minutes, you know, right, right, and they're like, <laughs> my knee also has started hurting and I wasn't just resentful of the person. I was resentful of their knee. I was like, seriously, knee? how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? Why can't one body in this place yeah. not yeah. fall apart? Cause I don't, I can't do it. Like, can't, and I realized I can't like, handle your knee. I can't handle your knee.
0: Yeah. And I'd kind of,
1: I think I'd heard about different kinds of coaching, but like the one that then I was like, I need to do something. And I'd heard about Sarah Smith's charting champions course where she also, she also mm-hmm. trained at the same school as us. And mm-hmm. her, her program was like a perfect gateway into coaching. Cause it had this very yeah. specific purpose. And I was like charting all day. My inbox was overflowing, like all the things. And so it's like, I can get this one thing under control. And through that, then discovering that just the wider world of coaching and some of the concepts that like are just so powerful to explore, like concepts about emotions and how they aren't there to kill you. They are there to help you and protect you. And maybe it's only totally okay to feel them all, all the way through, including yeah. overwhelm. Like actually for me at this point, like when I think of overwhelm, really it's often because my body is is firing multiple emotions at once. And mm-hmm. that's actually all that's happening. And that's maybe I don't want to minimize it because it feels terrible when you're in it. But yeah. like actually, then if you're unafraid of addressing those emotions one at a time it's okay. you haven't fixed the world, but that yeah. actually the world's going to be the world. that's like right. the thing i've learned through coaching is <laughs> the world i i didn't make no illusions. i'm not not one of the i am not like everything's actually fine. like things are not fine.
0: Things pretty are not fine. clearly, fine,
1: really yeah. objectively. and i do have control over how i take care of myself, how i treat myself. Mm-hmm. um can i be a friend to myself and to my body? and really center my humanity. And in doing so, there's nothing that can chronically overwhelm me. And if I feel temporarily overwhelmed, just being a human, you know? And so I think that sort of, that's often how I tell like the beginning of my story just because um, I think a lot of people, especially, you know, those who go into healthcare, those who are like high achievers, like we try and outrun our feelings, and we try and outrun like the sinking. I think it was just the sinking feeling of this world's not okay. And yeah. I need to, and I can only do so much. And I really yeah. maxed out my capacity. And I was imp- it was impressive what that max was, but I am no longer interested in doing that. I'm interested yeah. in, like I said something um, earlier this year, and I've kind of had a little mantra of like, what if I designed my life? including clinical life, et cetera, to be at like maybe 75% of my capacity. Mm. Like intentionally mm-hmm. designing my life to be under what I am capable of doing. Yeah. That almost sounds like kind of rude. I'm actually like interested <laughs> in what you think because I saw it said like recovering perfectionist. Like that I I'm sorry if I've offended anyone listening by saying that. But it's like kind of when you think about like, I don't know, a machine or any kind of system. You're kind of, you want that machine to have some buffer so mm-hmm. that when
0: something happens, it's not already at its max. Yeah, It's got, it needs to have, you know, some break time, you know, like yes, if we run it full capacity, 24 hours a day, yeah, it's going to wear out, going to wear out. It's not even, yeah. it's not actually
1: designed for that. And even if it was designed for it, where there was no, say this was like a machine and there was no resistance and no whatever. Yeah then something, what happens when the next thing comes and you, right. you're already at your capacity because the next right. thing is always gonna come. It's always we gonna come. leave yeah. space. And yeah. so that's felt like, honestly, at times these past few years, like uh, sort of practically speaking, like maybe cutting back on hours, saying only taking on so much in a certain mm-hmm. clinical encounter, offering patients opportunities to take um, control of their own care in ways you know, that have yeah. I think been empowering for them and for me. And sometimes I'm like, this feels illegal. Like, it feels like, I feel like one of my sort it of feels thoughts, naughty, doesn't it? Right. Like, like I th- I think I'm going to get in trouble because I yeah. only wrote so many lines in my, my note and
0: I didn't write every single thing or whatever. Right. Like you think that oh. so you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to go back to one thing that you were talking about when, you know, kind of feeling this pressure to get people vaccinated. Uh. And I'm curious for you too, because I was I was in a big system before and, you know, we'd have all these metrics in front of us all the time of like, you know, how you're doing with patients with diabetes and, you know, their A1C numbers and their, um, yeah, colon cancer screening rates, you know, kind of all these things that were supposed to get to a certain number. And I remember, especially early on in training and, you know, and persisted, yeah, having that pressure of like. Oh, it's my job to convince these people yeah. and somehow manipulate them into frankly, you know, kind of yes. believing that they need to do things a certain way, into always taking their medications or at least always picking them up as though they're taking their medications so the metrics work <laughs> or, you know, uh. you know, any number of things and it, you know, it's just like we don't actually control what other adults do? Again, we're there to advise, diagnose, prescribe. Like we've got a role, right? <clears throat> but I think one thing that coaching brought to me was was really being aware of like I don't actually control what happens when they leave the room. I love what Sarah Smith said on one one of her podcasts. she's like, it's not any of my business what my patients do once they leave the clinic. Yes, right it's not my business whether they're taking their medications or whether they're doing this or that because i don't hold that right like i i'm not responsible for that but our systems absolutely benefit from us continuing to believe that we should be able to manage those things and that and that we can <laughs> yes right and and like
1: the end of that is they think they're benefiting and probably in the short term Whatever metrics they think are important, they are. Mm -hmm. But I think if you look at how people are either quiet quitting or just full (laughs) on quitting, right? I don't think it's working out so well for these folks. Yeah, I. That's where like I had this moment where I had to kind of like go through a grief process because it didn't have like when the pandemic happened and it's like everything blew out sideways. One thing I was like, maybe we'll actually say, look, we can change things. Look, the old ways are like literally gone. Yeah. So, how do we want to move forward? Look, how at do we want to humans. rebuild this? Yes. Yeah. And then, um, I'm sure, I'm hopeful. Some places they did really look and say, "Gosh, all we have is each other. What if we actually do this together?" And I, I sort I, you know, what I do feel like in my clinic, my little corner of the healthcare system, which is the system I have the most direct influence over. You know, me and five other docs, and you know, doing our own thing. Mm -hmm. I can see that it's not perfect for sure but like even narrowing down to myself and my little ecosystem in there like I think that I can have influence there and we have bonded through the pandemic in ways that I think can serve us Mm -hmm. but when you look at the system as as a whole like um not everyone learned that lesson sadly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the whole notion that like if someone's A one C, for example, like I I think we just have to zoom all the way out at like, what are we even doing um with things like targets and things mm-hmm. like and especially in any kind of way individualizing so that what so that we're viewing them like a report card, so that a physician would say, I'm failing because only blah blah percent of my patients have A1Cs. Like, do like that is Speaking of even equity, thinking mm-hmm. about the populations, whether it's ethnicity or socioeconomic status, who are because of no fault of their own, yep. but either genetics and also environment are yep. going to just naturally mean they are much higher risk of much higher A1Cs. Why, would, who's this helping? How is this not going to end up being punitive or people starting right. to prune their panel? I don't even know what happens when people feel that pressure, right? And like, is any of that medicine? Is any of that caring for people? Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. It's heartbreaking. And, and it's it's not only dehumanizing to us, right? Of trying to make us believe that we're responsible for that, but it's also reducing our patients to numbers. And not to say, right, I don't think either you or I would say, well, we don't want our patients to have, you know, good blood sugar control or yeah. you know, uh, a healthy blood pressure, right? Because of course we do. Yeah. But At what cost, right? And with with what resources are we providing them, right? Because our patients are not numbers either, right? They they are the other human in the room besides us. Yes.
1: (laughs) Sometimes we actually have to remember that like literally there's two humans. humans. (laughs) And like, because like what gets in the way is like, all the stories they might be telling about themselves or about speaking of Renee Brown. I just love how she says that and about us. And then there's all the stories we're telling about them and ourselves and all like, I almost think like, it's like there can be boogeyman's in the room. You almost feel them like the medical legal team, the college they could complain to the colleague who's always very judgmental and is up to date on the guidelines when you're not. And you like feel them like this pressure in the room, like, yeah, I want to just say it's fine, but apparently yeah. I'm supposed to I'm supposed to say this. Say this, and it just feels <laughs> you can just feel how inauthentic it feels. You feel yeah. how you see the patient's shoulders droop and and then like no wonder we're burnt out at the end of the day. Yeah. Like what if we put that aside? Like that's one way I really think about like the power we have as the people who have the actual medical training, who are doing the actual work with the actual other humans if we just if we collectively decide like it's cute you keep bringing us these numbers thank you for the information like as if they're bringing us the weather like yeah. if someone's like it's cold today or you're like oh, it's my fault so oh, it's the same thing God. here's the weather <laughs> of some yeah. random facts about our patients interesting and then we go right back to doing what we do yeah. my hypothesis is in the long run any influence I could possibly have to maybe empower or help shift or whatever. If I put those metrics aside, I actually have the best chance of maybe influencing a couple of those people's metrics anyway. Mm-hmm. Like we need yep. to set down
0: those things. because much more like, so, right? Yes. Then yeah, constantly sort of hitting them with, "Look, well, you're not taking, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. Like that's not building trust. That's no. not going to bring them into the medical community. No. Um, thinking about that. Yeah. We're getting back to Brené Brown, you know, thinking about the role of shaming, right? Yes. I don't think that any of us were ever probably overtly taught to shame no. our patients, but covertly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. And that doesn't work. Doesn't work with our kids. Doesn't <laughs> work with her patients. Right. It just creates more heartache, right? More more trauma to us, more trauma to them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think
1: that's like and it, it, I think it's sort of this like chain of shaming, right? Like it's just that mm-hmm.
0: shame begets shame. Right. And right. right. Because so, then we get shamed for not having the metrics. Yes. Or or it went the other direction. We're shamed for not having the metrics. So yep. we then shame our patients. Totally. Yeah. yeah. That. So I'm curious, like,
1: especially having done sort of deeper work around Brene, like, did that just make you see shame everywhere? Like, I I think so much about, I sometimes call it like the shame-based medical culture or the hidden curriculum. Mm-hmm. When you kind of think about that, like, what what comes up for you when you view like the role of shame in some of the harder parts of our medical culture?
0: Yeah, I think for me, I probably didn't see... I mean, I probably didn't think about it too much in terms of patients, a little bit, but um, you know, I could recognize like, oh, you know, there here's an episode where, you know, shame has been used. And um, you know, as a as a as a woman, right, I would often receive patients who had, you know, kind of left a previous doctor and you know, maybe experienced shame and, you know, shared their story and um, you know, trying to validate them in that moment. But but I think where I really paid a lot of attention to it, where it was really striking to me was seeing how often shame had been used to keep us in a box, right. I think about you know the way that our training is right It's very shame focused in in the way that perfectionism is really about shame avoidance, right? Shame is a, you know, this is, you know, again, sort of Brene teaching, you know, shame is a universally painful human emotion. It's normal. Animals experience it as well. Hmm. Um, We, you know, we all don't like the feeling of it. It makes us all want to run and hide and play small and stay safe, right? That's just a natural reaction to it. But I think about how often our training you know, really drilled into us to avoid shame at all costs. And the consequence of that was, you know, developing these habits of intense perfectionism if we didn't already have it. And really this hyper vigilance that in and of itself is traumatic, right? People talk about not being able to relax, not being, you know, like maybe they had vacation and they were really looking forward to it. And the whole time, you know they kept scanning their inbox in case somebody missed something or they were catching up on all the work because they couldn't get it done um you know i remember having residents who would um always be looking at the the labor and delivery board online before they came to their shifts or you know checking the patient roster you know to see you know what was coming for them and it's all it's all an attempt to minimize shame and overwhelm right to Try and be in control of everything. And it's caused so much harm to us. And we, we got so good at doing it to ourselves. That's that's the really great part, if you will. Air quotes here. Um, you know, about our medical training, right? We're high achievers. We were taught to avoid shame, right? Think about being pimped on rounds, right? And not knowing an answer, right? We're never gonna not know the answer again. Um that training really built into us this deep and intense and often traumatizing fear of shame yes fear of not knowing fear of being wrong fear of missing something and we are humans (laughs) we make mistakes we get distracted we try as much as we can to minimize all those things, but this this wound up so tight in sort of avoiding shame and fear and overwhelm makes it so much harder mm. to be mindful and present and to not make mistakes. It probably makes it probably creates more mistakes, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So so I couldn't I couldn't unsee all those elements of how our training had done that to us. I couldn't unsee, and um, I did the Brene training mostly uh, before I made the decision to leave. Most of it was completed before, but I kind of couldn't unsee the environment I was in mm-hmm. and how I would say it at the time, how I was being made to feel. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because I didn't yet have the the idea that my thoughts create my feelings. And I had hundred percent adapted these thoughts from the training that I had received of this is how I have to do things. I have to watch for these things. I have to do this. I have to try and control. I have to try and get my patients, you know, on board with the plan with all the right medicines and, you know, get them, get their A1C down. Um, And that was a hard, it was a hard realization of how much shame was, was kind of just baked into everything around me.
1: Yeah. It's a painful realization. You understand why some don't want to see it or yeah. defend it or it's easier to
0: keep my head down. It's easier totally. to keep up hustling. Right. Yes. It's sort of like, I, th- I
1: think sometimes that's like almost why you internalize it. It's like, no, it must be me because if yeah. the truth is like, oh no, like our whole system and it's not the entire system and it's not to throw out all the humans in it, but certainly like Ah, like a lot of how this whole thing was structured and designed and operates Mm -hmm. is on some really painful, traumatizing stories. Yeah. And it's easier for a while to be like, maybe I can just win the game. Maybe the game is winnable.
0: (laughs) Find the answer and I'll be better than everybody else that I've seen suffering and miserable or overusing alcohol or food or you know any of the millions of ways that people cope Yes, I I remember sort of looking around and sort of hearing people talk and thinking is everybody just having a bunch of wine every night is that is that what we're doing that doesn't seem right to me you're like (laughs) Is this is that
1: seriously the only way?
0: You know, I, like all the I things. I don't like wine.
1: What? Am- <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm screwed. Find something else. Yeah, Ew. so Ew. true. And like, I think um, I think the the good thing to know is, and I think what coaching really allows you to do is yeah like basically take back ownership of your thoughts take back Mm -hmm. ownership of the stories you choose to tell yourself Mm -hmm. and and it's not to say that those other stories aren't in the air you're breathing and it's not that they're not there all day so it's yeah that's still there yeah and and they they still still come back to
0: me oh they still come back i mean
1: like when when you've been thinking them and hearing them for decades like they're they're there but then there's this moment, maybe after you've spun for a bit or, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but over time, as I've been doing more of this, I can catch it a bit quicker where mm-hmm. I'm like, there you are. There we I are. know what you do. And this is the story I choose yeah. to tell about myself and my inherent goodness. This is this is where I'm going to anchor myself because frankly, yeah. it feels better. Yeah. And I have no reason to believe it's not truer, honestly, Right.
0: We get it, we get actually get a choice, you know, yeah. Realizing I can, I can shape the way that I think, right. I can't, I can't change every thought that comes to me. I can't, I can't prevent some of those painful thoughts from coming through, but I can choose to notice them, learn to notice them and tune them and say, no, remember, that's not the story that we're running with anymore. Yeah. Turns out I'm worthy right now. Yep. I'm you know responsible for my parts but not for everybody else and I'm doing the best that I can. Yeah. And some days are easier than others. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit cuz we've already used the word a bunch but um I've heard you speak on your podcast about trauma and painful experiences and I don't think that we've talked generally enough in the medical community mm-hmm. about little T, mostly little T traumas that we've experienced through training. Certainly there are big T traumas that have happened. Um, let's not deny that, right? Assaults, um, abuse, harassment, like, like those things have definitely happened. But we don't talk enough about the little T traumas, Right being um, yelled at or belittled, being told that you have to make something work even though you don't know how to do it or you don't have the proper equipment or you're not trained for it. And I heard you share a story, and if you don't mind sharing it again, of sort of realizing realizing an experience during residency that really impacted you. Mm -hmm. Yes, I would
1: love to. I think... I think the thing that was really help, helpful for me to learn about trauma, because I think the way that trauma was sort of taught to me or generally spoken about was like, it's PTSD and it is soldiers, sort of the, the big yep. soldiers and yep. then like assault victims. And yeah. like in, in school, it yeah. was sort of focused on sexual trauma, which I mean, is an important component yeah. and like being sensitive to it and almost like, but don't talk about it because it might trigger them and so then it becomes like stigmatizing to find out stigmatizing if it's been more, assaulted
0: but but they don't want to talk about it but
1: the, yeah it was very confusing yeah. and then made it seem actually more like don't go there which i um i'm sure wasn't the intention but yeah it's <laughs> not not their desired effect so then i i and this was even post-training like learning um, that there were big and little T traumas, that there were the kind of weathering things that even, yeah, being just socialized female in a patriarchal society, being mm-hmm. a visible minority in a mm-hmm. supremacist society, like all these different things, that those even those in the microaggressions that come could have a overtime cumulative effect. And I I have a hypothesis that at least many of us who went through medical training would describe just the the experience of going through that time and sort of the shame devices that are used and exploited that that ends up being its own weathering and that's the dehumanization yeah. in a way is saying traumatized traumatizing, right? Yeah um and the 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 thing that helped even crystallize it further is like that if if something lives in you as a trauma, like because the notion is if you have something in your body, and you're overreact- overreacting I'm putting that mm-hmm. in quotes to some current event that seems benign. yeah, you know, it's likely because it's reminding you of a past event. And so what decides to live in your body, and does your nervous system get overprotective of?
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: times where something alarming or hurtful happened to you, and then in the aftermath, you are left feeling mm-hmm. helpless, so mm-hmm. like out of control, mm-hmm. and alone, so disconnected. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: And man, helpless and alone describes a lot of what I felt on those words, especially I would say in clerkship as a medical student. And the story that I'd shared, um, I was sharing it in the like framing around people pleasing, which Mm -hmm. is a concept that I really resonated with when I first heard. And then digging into it further, thinking about how often what we call people pleasing is actually a trauma response. Um, there's, um, you know, like the classical trauma responses of like fight, flight, freeze. But there's this fourth one, fawn, F-A-W-N, which is like, and this is again, animals, like Mm -hmm. everyone actually can use this as a safety mechanism in their nervous system of if they're presented with a threat and you think you can't take them in a fight, you're not fast enough to run away from them. Playing dead doesn't seem like a good idea. Instead, you kind of go, Nice kitty, nice kitty. Or you know, you you say you say soothing, pleasant things that you think the predator needs to hear. Rocking the boat. I am here to please you so that I survive, and really connecting that it it made me look back on this event and my medical training in a whole new way because um uh, the short version of it is. I was in a setting with an older male preceptor in like um, at the start of like, it was going to be like a cardiac surgery, like a long surgery. i had already had some experiences with this preceptor where he had sort of outright said to me, he didn't think I was a very good learner. And um, this was a, this was a preceptor in a rotation that was very important to me. It was the mm-hmm. specialty I wanted to get into. Mm-hmm. And now we're in this OR setting and he's like, Hey, do you want to put in this catheter? I have never put it in a catheter before. I kind of knew the theory of it Mm -hmm. and everything in me, honestly, if, if I was, if I was like fully outside of the sort of socialization and trauma response, I would have been like, I am not comfortable certainly in this setting. Could you, could I watch you do this one and you explain it to me? I see one first? (laughs) Can I see one first, please? And have you be a safe, kind person to explain it to me and then, you know, could try next time. But instead I just squeaked out, sure. And then like, Attempted to put it in. He's like, "Is it in?" I'm like, "Yeah." Like I, like I'm sure I said yes. In like somewhere something. from the outside, like you think about who gets labeled. I in this case, I didn't get labeled, but I could have been labeled sort of like an inauthentic or or lying or difficult resident, like a weak resident. Because mm-hmm. why did you say yes when you should have said no? You know, like how mm-hmm. sometimes we do this. Like you were called mm-hmm. difficult in your situation. Yeah, but I was like yes, and then. You know, inflated the balloon and accidentally tripped the guy. <laughs> like he, yeah. it inflated in his prostate. Blood came out. It was not good. Yeah. He, yeah. I, the the urologist was like, he may never be on his own again. It was so, and like, and and that as well, right? So no one in the room then was stayed with me. I I remember the the only female in the room gave me a quick pat and I'm like, it's okay. Anyways, moving on. And like, I was frozen. I I then had to stand through. the
0: like you have to stay in the room <laughs> with
1: your capital F failure where you've I yeah. mean like again an adverse medical event happened and no one even like debrief, not even like the basic, like, hey, let's make sure that doesn't happen again. Like, even on yeah, that right. level, let's walk you through the steps. It was just what
0: silent differently. It was think, yeah.
1: it was freezing. At, at, like at a later date, the preceptor was like, on retrospect, maybe that wasn't the right setting. Like he said, like one little thing, but otherwise didn't bring it up. So like helpless, like I truly, like my fond response, which had been conditioned over, you know, my entire life to just always try and do what the teacher says to get the A. Yeah, right. And especially in this case where I'm like, I feel like I'm catching up. Like, I, you know, and then after like feeling so alone and so unseen and, and not even believing myself, like my default story was I have to hide how bad of a learner I am. Yep. Like my inadequacy, mm-hmm. I just have to hide it. I'm going to ask less questions. I'm going to do a better job at trying to read these people to get what I need to do. I'm not going to try catheters again. I I honestly think maybe I did one other catheter. I somehow escaped, like- I'm- Yeah,
0: and you're like, and, and I don't do them,
1: good. to be clear, I don't use them in my work now, but like sure. say I needed to at some point, yeah. like I'd, I'd be like, someone needs to actually train me on this. Yeah. Could I actually be It didn't make me want to learn it at all. Like it was like, yeah. I'm going to pretend, like I pretended so much when I was supposed to be there to learn. I was supposed to be, yeah. I was supposed to be bad at everything. I was a learner yeah. and yeah. none of that as a baseline was there. And then after I was bad at something, if you will, like I, yeah. I did an inadequate job at this thing. There was no, even if the emotional support would have been cool, but even like the learning moment, like it was like so left alone and therefore just deep, deep shame and internalizing that. Versus now I do look back on it and I have so much, much more empathy for that girl in that room Mm -hmm. and totally understand why it went the way it went. I even have expanded and have more understanding at least of likely, well, that preceptor in the same system like i had, i used to have an anger story against him but it's not yeah. serving me so i yeah. don't you know yeah. um and really just like it's more like look at this whole thing we're calling education right. and and the opportunities were were missing for learning like if people are not sure about if we should stay human let's at least be effective teachers and yeah. that was not a a strong teachable moment yeah. for anyone yeah. and so like that's like what I think, that's why some of the ways I frame things and I've given presentations on like trauma-informed education,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the thing that I've learned the most is like, our brains are built to learn. Our, our brains, we, and then like, whether our IQs are high or not, like we as humans are designed to learn. We are, we can be curious and we can be endlessly capable of learning new skills When our nervous systems feel safe and supported to do so. And so what if the greatest gift you can give yourself is like both the mindsets and the environment and the supports to feel safe and secure so that you can learn because we are learning and messing up and learning every day on this dang job forever. Absolutely, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and then especially the thing I found that's so beautiful is being in this place where it's like, I feel safe with myself. I know how to ground myself and and be with myself through hard emotions that I can now that extend that out. So with my patients, they, I don't feel like they, I don't, not perfectionistic with them. They don't have to perform well for me. Yep. I but can- They don't have to fawn back to you as the they authority figure, right? Yes, Exactly the connections are so beautiful. And I see people finding their own way towards mm-hmm. their definition of health. And it's beautiful. Like it actually yeah. makes my job rich and rewarding and what I was hoping for to begin with. So the, yeah. the journey has been rocky. <laughs> There will, I'm sure, be much more discovery, um, you know, even like of the impacts of trauma and stuff. But the other thing that I do is I do teach medical learners and Mm -hmm. I do try and name explicitly some of this stuff and talk about Mm -hmm. trauma informed. And I try and be just the safest, most supportive Preceptor, I can be, because that's I want to break the cycle. I don't want someone in my presence to feel any kind of way like I felt in that operating room because I don't think everyone anyone should have to. Yeah. And
0: and of course, to do that, like really in the long term, right? You have to be taking good care of yourself so that you have the resilience and the bandwidth to be able to be a safe place. Yes. Right. Because of course, part of his story may have been that he was so burned out, you know, and he was overwhelmed and he was experiencing a lot of things. And that blocked him from being able to be aware that you were a learner, that you might not have the experience that you need, that you might be afraid of him.
1: Absolutely. Right. Oh, absolutely.
0: That realization for me, you know, thinking it back to, you know, some of my attendings who were really harsh and you know angry as you mentioned before like i've let go of my anger stories about them and 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 my former workplace to a large extent because i've been able to see it through this different lens and i think you'd agree it sounds like that that part of this benefit of the painful work that we've done to get to this place and you know learning our emotions and all is that we can let go of those anger stories because we give ourselves permission To feel safe now, to be able to understand that our feelings are not dangerous. They may be difficult, but they're not dangerous. And to be able to see those humans were probably doing the best that they could. Mm -hmm. And, And that was the result. Yeah. Right. Also a product of their systems and their training.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's cuz like it it lets the system off the hook if we say it was just those bad apples. Right. You know? Right. And the thing is like I that's why I found it really helpful when like speaking of coaching to always like name the systems under which we're operating. Like mm-hmm. basically in some like to name where we get our unintentional thoughts from, where we get our default stories from. It's like yeah. from the system. Right. And it's this interesting there's this like there's a bit of a paradox in it because like the system exists because we all believe it should and so it is actually up to a whole bunch of individuals to shift our mindsets and that is then how we change our system you know and in the meantime though i find it hard to hold a lot of anger towards too many people who are operating you know in this collective mm-hmm. mindset that is just mm-hmm. passed around to one another so yeah. just When we get to individual blame, it's an understandable reaction, and I'll sit in it for a minute. Like I'll be petty and angry, and like permission to be pissed for a minute, right? Yeah. And I notice that, like, especially when I come back to my human self, I'm able to see the humanity in them, and that it just feels
0: better. And it feels better now. Let's feel better. Yeah, for us, because it doesn't feel good either. Yeah. Um. To carry those anger stories, to be full of blame and wanting to shame other people. Yes, that's a very natural response. It's a protective response, right? But it's not. It's not helpful. Um, I'm trying to think. You know, it's a it's a primitive defense mechanism as opposed to whatever else they call it. Non. Can't remember. Um. It's. It's not the way that feels good. Right. I think for so many of us, right. Burnout and overwhelm just makes this world smaller and smaller, you know, yeah, we've got Mm -hmm. shame and we've got trauma. Like we've got all these things kind of piled on top and we just want to retreat by ourselves alone. Mm -hmm. And that it doesn't feel good to be there. It doesn't feel good to need to protect yourself that way. Life is not good there. No. And my perspective, and it sounds like you share, right, is we're not going to wait until the system is fixed. We're not going to let everybody off the hook as though they have no responsibility, but we're really helping people to realize how much control they have, that their feelings are safe, that, you know, they can be a human, right? They can reconnect with those parts of themselves. And life feels much better there. Yes. Right. And we can be human again. We can. In the room. Yes. In any and, room.
1: And really, like, and truly then, as we feel better. And I I, I like that. Speaking of mm-hmm. metrics, that's a core one. If not, it's not the only one, I suppose, but it's it's a big one of like, is this plan or is this way of being? making me feel better. Am I able to Mm. like feel Mm -hmm. and feel better? Not like maybe just like superficially like distract me from sadness, but like feel better as in feel all of my feelings, Mm -hmm. but feel connected to myself at home with myself, which ultimately just also means literally I feel like more pleasure. I feel more satisfaction. I have more capacity for joy because I am staying with myself when I am there. I am changing the system. Because like I said, I'm at least right. changing my local ecosystem. My patients mm-hmm. that I interact with, my staff mm-hmm. that I interact with, that has ripple effects. And I then also have the bandwidth to say, do what I've noticed absolutely is like some of my work in the world, sounds like for you, like the coaching stuff is like holding space for others to find their way back to themselves and reconnect mm-hmm. with themselves. Yeah, That is another way that I think we both are. Shifting and changing the system in like in genuine, tangible ways. Yeah. And if enough of us do it, then there's not anyone left for them to bully anyway. (laughs) Then we can all be like literally all be like, cool on the A1C. I'm gonna go back and work at 75% of my capacity. Oh, you say I have to work more than that? Interesting. And like it's not that I have no levers, but like frankly, say like all clinicians were like, we're all only
0: gonna work 75% of our capacities.
1: Yeah. Figure it out, like right.
0: They you know would guys, have to. The it's not a <laughs> surprise that patients walk into the clinic. Sometimes it's not a surprise yes. that patients call the clinic every day, or there's heart attack. You know, any yes. any of the things. like, it's not a surprise. No. Why do we treat it like a surprise? Yeah. Let's be smarter. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be smarter. I love Let's be that. Smarter about how this <laughs> how this rolls. Oh, totally. Yes. <laughs> Oh, um, this has been a really lovely conversation. I feel like we can probably keep going for a long time, but we should probably not. Um, I usually wrap up my show by asking someone who, you know, is experiencing some of what we've talked about today, you know, who feels really like they're struggling, like what, what would you want them to hear right now? If you think about, you know, kind of you being in a tough place, yeah. what do you wish somebody would have said to you?
1: I think like, one thing is everything that you're feeling makes total sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You make sense as a person and you are not the problem. Yes, you have great capacity to change your life and do amazing things, and that's beautiful, but even just like right now in this moment, like yeah,
0: you are not the problem you
1: are not the problem. We're not broken no, I think that's like I have so many people like they're like, oh, I have imposter syndrome, I have perfectionism and like there's all these different ways of saying, I'm broken, I'm the problem and now I've got to fix my perfectionism right. like it's right. you know I mean?
0: cure yeah you and kill. it's like
1: no, like those are the the scars and marks of this world that doesn't want you to be your authentic human self, yes, you you can come back home to yourself, and it is so not your fault. It's not your fault that you are where you are and you have the power to change. It's like those
0: two things at the yeah. same time, yeah. this is the yeah. consequence of the training, just like the debt, and uh, oh, that's so you t- know, yes, just just like any number of other costs associated with doing this oh, work. Right. yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And that actually plays well off of like my last question I usually ask is like, what is keeping you human in healthcare now? So yeah, like what have you been noticing both keeping you human through coaching
0: and in your work in healthcare? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it has been letting go of this notion that I control Mm -hmm. things. um, And Reminding myself um, sometimes better than others, you know that I'm I'm not responsible for many of the th- most of the things that occur with my patients, and I'm also not responsible for most of the things that happen to them and their experiences in healthcare. What I can be is a human, and I'm better when I am a human in the room having a human connection with someone um, listening to their story and helping to figure out what do we need to do or, you know, what validation does this person need or what are they afraid of to try and figure out some kind of plan. And that feels so much better um, I don't know if you've experienced this. I feel like I've got, you know, kind of a a big handful of patients with, you know, kind of unexplained situations like long COVID, you know, like yes. everyone's got POTS and long COVID and, you know, all these, all these kind of, you know, unexplained physical symptoms and mental symptoms. And sometimes, you know, after we've done tests and we've done things, you know, just having those human moments and sitting with them and acknowledging that, what they're experiencing is real, that it sucks, that I can't explain it, that it's really hard to have an ununderstood medical condition that we don't have a great label for. Yeah. And that there might not be other medical things that will help them. Mm. And when I come to those conversations as a human, I feel better. They feel better. Yeah. Right. And and we're just we're just people hmm. listening to each other, you know, supporting each other, um, trying to move through this world, you know, hopefully with, with some grace and some self-kindness and compassion. And that's really satisfying. Whereas before it was all about, I have to fix everything. Yep. I have to fix this medical thing. I have to fix the consultant who was rude to you. I have to, you know, the lab slip that got left behind, you know, the appointment that would, I have to fix that you have chest pain and you're coming into the clinic when you should be in the emergency room. (laughs) Yep. Right. I felt like I owned all of that. And I'm, you know, having to realize, right. I'm not a bad doctor. Yeah. For putting down those responsibilities and meeting the situation where I am and where they are. Mm-hmm. But the chest pain in the clinic always gets me. <laughs> it's like, you're not supposed to be oh, here. No. <laughs> Why are you here, man? <laughs> Tell you what, we're going to go to the emergency room. <laughs> uh,
1: some ways, it's the easiest decision to make all day though. You're like, well, sometimes. Yeah. Like, great news. How sick are you? oh pretty sick yeah yeah I actually have I actually have an answer for you and it's leave this place it's not here yeah <laughs> yeah totally yeah. I love that thank you so much um oh and then I guess like we'll share so obviously um you can say the name of your podcast again but then beyond that like if folks are interested in working with you or learning more from you where would they find your stuff yeah. on the internet yeah.
0: Um, so my podcast is ending physician overwhelm, and some of our listeners will be listening to it on my side, and then we'll send them to yours as well. Um, my uh, coaching practice is called healthier for good. And so it's www.healthierforgood.com. Um, and you can find out more about one-on-one coaching. And then I also run a program for women physicians based on Brene Brown's work. And that program runs every um that's about a three-month program, and uh, we start up again September 10th, and so I'm excited to get going again. Um, and tell my listeners um, where they can find you and listen to your podcast and find out more about working with you.
1: Yes. Well, um, yes, the name of my podcast is The Other Human in the Room. Um, and that's you clinician. You're the other human in the room. Um, I, my stuff is at JoanChanMD.com. And then I'm on like Instagram at JoanChanMD and the same handle on like, I'm technically a little bit on TikTok. I- my handle still exists on Twitter slash X or whatever it's called, but I don't, I could, <laughs> we don't do it's, that anymore. <laughs> it's it's scary in there. I don't, I don't know what Mr. Musk is doing over there. So, but the main, the main place I hang out really is Instagram. If you want to watch less read from me. um, Yeah. And so I do one-on-one coaching as well as I've just started my first group program that's focused on connection called interconnected. And it's, um, Folks in healthcare who want to practice connection with each other, with our, ourselves, with patients and in community. So that's what I've got going on. Lovely.
0: Well, um, I'm so glad that we got a chance to sit and talk and now we can be, um, we can be internet friends uh, for real. Yes. <laughs> Such yes. a weird world. that That is one good thing about the pandemic is I've never met so many people virtually and yes, become friends. Like it's awesome. So um, thank you again for making the time. And uh, I'm so excited for both of our listeners to hear the conversation and get a chance to learn a little bit more about kind of where we see things now, right? From our perspective, because life feels better here, yes. right? And even if people aren't doing the work that we're doing, coaching others, they can benefit and see that when we do this difficult work, right. When we kind of pick our head up out of the sand, right. And no longer kind of, you know, actively self-protecting that we can feel better. We can feel better and we can feel our emotions better and eventually let go of some of the anger stories. Right. Yeah. Blame.
1: Amen. I think that's what both our missions are all about. And I love what you're doing because this is how we do it. This is how we change the system. So it was such a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Yeah. Uh. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you as always for listening. To learn more about my coaching programs, head to www.healthierforgood.com. And if you love this podcast, Please drop us a review on iTunes or support the show by clicking the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care.